A good near of Shabbos to our friends and members of the West Mount Shul. This Shabbos, a very special Shabbos. After we read Parshas Tetzave, we will take out a second Sefer Torah and we'll read Parshas Zohar, which is a biblical obligation for men and women. And in Shul, we'll have three Torah readings. Please look at the bulletin for times. And of course, since there's such a great mitzvah to do this, what does Satan do? He's planning on cold and snow for this Shabbos. So everyone's got the built-in excuse. It's too cold to come to shul. I could get sick. It's inconvenient. My hair will get messed up. Whatever it is. And it's so appropriate for it to be such a cold time for us to fulfill this mitzvah, as we shall see. I want to look into two aspects. Number one is, generally the Torah is quite compassionate, and God always seeks the welfare of people. Here we see that God is totally not moved by any emotion. God says, because of what Amalek did, we have to obliterate every vestige of Amalek in this world. We'll never see them again. Which is generally not the Jewish way. The Jewish way is peaceful. The Jewish way is not to show military might and uh, destroy other religions and other people. But why would God, with an infinite understanding of reality, command us to destroy Amalek? And number two, we don't know who Amalek is today. How do we do this mitzvah even today? The Rambam lists this as a mitzvah, and the mitzvahs that the Rambam lists means that they apply even today. So let's first understand what did Amalek do that was so bad. And we are told in the Medrash, when Hashem split the sea, when it says, Vayiboku Hamayim, the Medrash says that not only did the sea split, but every water in the world split. Everywhere. Because it doesn't say, Vayiboka Hayom. It doesn't say the sea split, but Vayiboku Hamoyim. The waters all split. So let's imagine you had on that day, on the seventh day of Pesach, in the year 2,488. You have a non-Jew, we'll call him Ivan, who's sitting in a bathtub. In the middle of the night, he's enjoying the hot water, and all of a sudden, all the water splits, and the water goes to the side, and he's in the middle with no water. He he doesn't know what's going on. He starts, starts yelling at his kid, but he sees his kid is drinking water and all of a sudden all the water goes to the two sides and the kid is only drinking air and not water. They all go out and they wonder what's going on and they say, whoa, boy, is that climate change, man. Because all the waters in the world, everywhere they could be, it all split. This was not just a regional issue. The entire world says, what's going on? And they found out that God split all the waters in the world. So what did the people do at that time? The Medrash says they took their idols and smashed them to bits. And they all screamed out, there's nothing else but Hashem. Not only did the Jews say, who is like you amongst the gods, Hashem, but all the nations of the world said that. 
as the Medrash says, not only did the Jews say Shira, but all the nations, when they heard what happened to Paro, they heard how Hashem obliterated the most powerful country in the world. They decided to destroy their idols as well, and they said, Micha Mocha Elim Hashem. And therefore, it's no wonder in the Shira it says that nations heard what happened and they trembled. All of them were afraid completely. Their hearts melted. The whole world is melting away from the fiery message of Hashem is the Lord. And they're all afraid of the Jews. Everyone. Until Amalek came along. Amalek decided to change the script to change the narrative. He wants to cool down that heat that everyone realizes, the excitement of the fact there's a God in this world. That was news. And it all screams out there's a God in this world. And Amalek's job, they felt, no, want to push and take away that powerful message. And that's why it says that Amalek asher korcha baderech which means literally they happen to meet you on the road, but Rashi says it's an expression of coldness and gives the analogy of a boiling hot bathtub that everybody's afraid to go in because they'll get burnt to death and comes a fool and doesn't care, he jumps in and he gets scorched to death, but yet he cooled it down for others. This is the terrible thing that Amalek did. Says the Yosef, if Amalek would not have attacked the Jews... Says the Bais Yosef in the 1500s, he said, until today, thousands of years later, the non-Jews would still be afraid of us. The Jewish people would still be behaving the way they behaved when they left Egypt. But because of this battle that Amalek did, and Amalek created a different narrative, and he says, you know what, I'm not impressed by what's going on, that thing's changed. And the question is, why did Amalek get involved? Are the Jews going to go to Amalek and capture their land? No. Why are you going? And the Talmud says they went 400 parsos. That's a long distance. That's 1,600 kilometers out of their way to fight, to fight us. It wasn't their business. Why? And here's the point. Amalek wanted to destroy the power of holiness that is in the world. And Amalek is interested in increasing the amount of unholiness. And he wants to destroy from the world anything that transmits God's spirituality, faith, divinity, all that. And instead of saying it's a God-run world, it's just a world that nature runs. Asher Karcha. Asher Karcha is also a Lashon, a stretch of Mikra. It just so happens. It's nothing to do with God. And this was... The greatest insult. God had a purpose for the world. The world to reveal Hashem. And when Hashem is revealed, the world is the happiest place. The most meaningful place. When it's directed by a God. And Amalek says, you want to turn the whole world upside down. And really what they are doing is they're really not an enemy of God. An enemy of mankind. That they bring a narrative that's so not true. And when you take that away, peace, loving kindness, respect for mankind goes away. So that is why Hashem takes such issue with Amalek. And where does that come from? Why do they want to break that power of Kedusha? 
because they don't want to be controlled by Hashem. They don't want that there should be any consequences to what they do. And therefore Hashem said, these people are the enemies not just of God, but of civilization as we know it. Now, we could be draw, we could if we wanted now draw analogies from current events to how Moloch lives in this world. But I don't want to go that way this time. Halachically, we can't really kill anybody as a Molek. So the question is, so where's the mitzvah? We can't just go and say, where's a Molek? I kill him. Go tell a judge in uh, Tennessee or in Ontario, well, I killed him because he's not a Molek. It's going to be a big chalashem. You can't do this. So where's the mitzvah? Well, if we can't kill actual Amalekis, but obviously Amalek is not just people, it's a concept. It's a concept of wanting to break the power of Kedusha, not wanting to be controlled by Hashem. And therefore on this Shabbos, each and every one of us has to ask ourselves a very serious question. We all have a certain degree of Amalek inside of us. The question is, how are we going to destroy the Amalek within ourselves? And it's obvious. Why would we have to do that? Because the Torah said that we have to kill Amalek when it's possible. We only really, it's only right for us to kill Amalek if we kill it within ourselves, if we remove it from within ourselves. And therefore, this is the mitzvah of this Shabbos to really focus on and for that to be something to not forget the whole year. What aspect of Kedusha in my life, am I trying to break? Am I trying to take away? Kedusha is such a difficult aspect of life to truly live with and understand. Kedusha meaning Kedusha Kadosh is to be elevated and separated from mundaneness just for the sake of mundaneness, to be controlled by physical urges and lusts. Kedusha means I'm bound that I'm connected to a higher reality, a more meaningful reality as dictated by Hashem. What aspect of Kedusha in my life am I trying to break? And if you say you're not, then with all um, due respect, maybe we're not looking good enough. Each and every one of us has to realize we're an elevated divine soul. In what ways do we break up a divine soul? Do we break up a divine soul by being involved in gossip? Do we break up a divine soul by watching things we should not be looking at? Reading things we should not read? Looking to spend my whole life increasing my socioeconomic status as, if, as opposed to increasing my spiritual status? How much do I live with the reality that Hashem is in my life? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. These are fair questions. Nobody's bad if they're asked these questions because we're all work in progress, trying to improve. And this is the mitzvah that we have this Shabbos. Now the question is, what is the modus operandi of Amalek? How do they work? And the simple answer is from that word, korcha, which means cool off, and korcha means it just so happens. But Amalek is engaged in looking at the world and calling it all cold 
coincidence. They look at things in the world and instead of looking at them as coming from Hashem, because we know ain't old Movado, they say, no, it's not coming from Hashem. There could be a God, but he's not in control. And whatever happens, God is never involved in anything. What do you mean God split the sea? No, 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 it was climate change. And climate change caused the waters to split. The, uh, the, the Earth's um, core of the universe wobbled. And therefore the waters split. And therefore all waters split. Now that's crazy. Why would a person want to believe such a silly thing? You know why? Because that person worships himself and doesn't want to be controlled by Hashem. A person will go to the greatest extremes of stupidity, all not to believe in God, as we see in the current events that I don't have to go through. And therefore, a Amalek, when you can see that God's in charge of the world, they said, no, 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 it's just a coincidence. But how do you explain this? How do you explain this? So they send their press secretary to read off talking points that don't answer your questions. Go listen to any of the congressional hearings. When good questions are asked, the other people, the respondents, instead of answering the questions, just talk about something else. Let's not talk about it. And you see this clearly with Haman himself. Haman, where's your brain? Where's your brain? You want to destroy uh, Mordechai. And everything you do backfires on you. You go to the king and you want to tell the king in the middle of the night to go kill Mordechai. And all of a sudden the king says you're going to lead him in a parade and give him honor. Not exactly what you were planning. And not only that, at the end of the parade, your daughter's going to mistake in you for Mordechai and she will pour dirty water on it and so uh, uh, um, scared, she goes and commits suicide. So maybe you should think, I was planning this. How come things are backfiring? Maybe this God is watching them. And even his best advisor, Zeresh, his wife, and says, if he's from the Jews and you start to fall before him, you will fall lower. But he doesn't listen. He doesn't associate it. He's filled with coldness that is blocking his heart. And he will come up with illogical ways of looking at things just so he can continue what he's looking for. The greatest cognitive dissonance possible. And he keeps on saying, you know what? You know, just things aren't working out right now. I made this mistake. I made that mistake. Bad luck. And that's why the same root of coincidence is coldness. Mikre and krirus. Same thing. We should be excited and impressed when we see God's actions in this world. Oh, no, no, I don't want God in this world. I don't want God telling me what to do. I want to be a free person. So therefore, I'm going to have to come up with the craziest rationales to not be impressed, to not get excited, and to not believe. And you see, again, in current events, how there's people who live this way, they're destroying their lives, they're destroying their country. Because at the end of the day, they don't want God at all in the world. 
and anything that would smack of God. Therefore, you'll have uh, government agencies, you know, um, attacking religious organizations and not non-religious organizations. You have people who deify climate change but not care about people. You have people, um, what's him call it? The mayor of New York said, he said himself, when you remove God from the schools, then you have all these kinds of problems. They could say, you know what? God doesn't decide who's a boy and a girl. We decide. Isn't that the epitome of Amalek? And they get excited about these wrong things, but not the value of human life. As long as God is not in charge... I'll come up with the craziest rationales. Again, we see all this, but we have to realize this is something that's a universal in each and every one of us. What kind of crazy rationales does each and every one of us have in our lives that's preventing the Kedusha Hashem to enter in our lives? What kind of rationales are people using to still not come to shul? on Shabbos, when COVID is done. What rationales do people come, a man, to pray three times a day in a synagogue? What rationales do people use to not give enough charity? What rationales do people use to speak gossip about other people? What rationales do people use to spend the greatest gift of life, the greatest gift of life, and wasting it away on Netflix and other things. Not jumping in to do meaningful things. What are the rationales? Ask ourselves, do we really want a God-centered universe? Do we really want Hashem to call all the shots? Or only when they're not in conflict with what I want And we all have this problem. Me, you, we all. And, and the mitzvah of this Shabbos is to really look at one of them and say, why am I so stubborn? And then Hashem sometimes does things that shows us, you know, get the message. Again, I'm not the prophet. Each and every one of us has their own issues. Hashem sends us messages. Our lives are not necessarily going the way that we want them to go. Is it perhaps because we have not invited God into our lives? Are we still suffering from Amalek? So let's not worry about killing others. That's not necessary right now. We have to destroy the Amalek within ourselves. And we can't have any compassion and any mercy. We got to totally obliterate it. And now the question is, how do we accomplish this? Just saying, I wish, I wish, I wish. So Rabbi Hanan Wasserman quoted his Rebbe, the Chavetz Chaim, things that are only a great rabbi could say. And in our ability to fight Amalek, Rabbi Hanan says like this, and of course this is right before Amalek of Germany came and wiped out a third of the Jews. He says there's two ways to fight against an enemy. One of them is face-to-face -face battle. You get your troops, their troops, and you hope that you're stronger. There'll be a lot of casualties. Even at the end, you will win. But there's another way, and that will lead 
need much less fighting. If probably the best way, if you knew where your enemy held all their ammunition and you're able to bomb their munitions plant and they have no ammunition, they'll have to surrender. And there'll be no casualties. So what we have to do, we're fighting a Amalek. We could try hand-to-hand combat with a Amalek, but there's going to be casualties. Casualties meaning parts of us will, will feel that parts of us will die. I have to give up Netflix? You know what kind of death that is for some people? What kind of death it is if you can't be stuck to your electronic devices? How our lives would be miserable? We wouldn't know what to do! There could be all kinds of casualties in this battle. But we could try the other way. Let's try to get rid of Amalek's ammunition. And what is Amalek's ammunition? The Torah says Amalek attacked us in the city of Rephidim. And the rabbi said Rephidim is an acronym for the Jews were weak in their Torah study. Meaning the whole power of Amalek comes from the fact that we're weak in our Torah study. Because once we're weak in our Torah study, then Amalek can start presenting false narratives. You only can believe a false narrative if you don't have any truth to fight with it, against it. If you have Torah, you know this is all Narishkeit. Anyone who has a good grounding in Torah knows all the lies that society believes. You know a boy cannot be a girl. Finished. You know the world will not be destroyed with climate change. Because Hashem has said so how long the world will exist. With or without you trying to save the climate. There's so many mishigasim in this world. You know not to believe the first thing the news says because you're taught the laws of Shmiras Halashon and you don't accept bad messages. There's so many things if we just had Torah. But the ammunition of Amalek is that we don't learn Torah and therefore they're able to destroy us. Said a great Sadik who said in the name of the Chavetz Chaim, who said that the descendants of Amalek started from Germany. Why? Because in Germany is where the Jews wanted to look like the non-Jews and there was almost no Torah in Germany. And that's why the destruction came from Germany. Because Amalek gets its strength from the fact it could pass on the lies because the Jews are weak in Torah. So if we want to fight Amalek, the Amalek outside, Amalek within, the best way is to take away his ammunition. There'll be less casualties. We're not telling you to suffer by doing all your mitzvahs, even though you have no appreciation for them. We're telling you, learn Torah. If we would learn Torah for as long as we watch Netflix and waste our lives on these things, we'd have such clarity, Amalek could not come in and destroy us at all. And that's how we do it. We take away their ammunition. And if you really learn Torah, you begin to appreciate and love Torah. You realize that if I spare time, I want to learn Torah. I don't want to be involved with false things. They say an amazing story with Rav Shach, Zichrona Levracha. This happened in the 60s, where Israel started their first version of the adoption law, the Koka Imutz. It was very corrupt. 
and it gave the government the power to take children away from their parents and specifically poor religious families. And they said, you can't take care of them. We're going to give them to secular families who can take care of them. It was against their will. I don't want to get into that horrific part of Israeli history. And there was a specific story that happened in Chadera that really ignited the whole thing, where the mamish took children away from their parents. So there were very there were certain religious Jews who were trying to fight against this. So they went to Reb Shach and said, "What are we going to do about this?" So Reb Shach says, "Do you really want to stop it? Do you really want to stop it?" He says, "Sure." And they thought, certainly, we will uh, send them, you know, go to a certain person, a Knesset member, or get someone to get involved with it. And Rav Shah says, listen, take to heart that all the problems, you know where the problems at that time, where the problems of this taking away the children was in the northern part of Israel, not in the south. He says, you know why? Because... In the in the the in the south, there are lots of yeshivas, lots of yeshivas, and in a place where there's Torah, Amalek doesn't have any strength. But in the north, there's almost no yeshivas there. If there's no yeshivas, Amalek has power, and you want to stop the decree, increase the yeshivas. And so it was. They did, and eventually the law got changed in 1981. This is how we destroy Amalek. By increasing our learning, increasing our study. Everybody can do it. Man, woman, and child. This has always been our pastime. We're the people of the book. So much we can learn about Shmira Salashon. So much we can hear. So many options of Torah. It's all. It's at your fingertips. And to realize... A Torah life takes all the ammunition away from a Molech and you will not have casualties. Let me close with two stories of the Hassam Sofer. Hassam Sofer was the leader of Hungarian Jewry and one of the greatest fighters against the assimilation that was happening from the reform movement. And the enemies of the Chafetz, of the of the Hassam Sofer um, wanted to make a fool of the Hassam Sofer. If they figure we can disparage the Hassam Sofer, then we'll win our battle completely. So the Hassam Sofer usually went around to schools and tested the boys on Shabbos. And if they did well, they got a candy. Just to encourage the children to learn. So these maskilim, these reformers, who really did not, the Hassam Sofer really made them a lot of problems. So they decided, you know, we're going to make a mockery of the Hassam Sofer. We're going to make such a mockery, just like a Molik, who makes a mockery of everything that's good in this world. They took a little non-Jewish boy and over a number of months had him grow pious, look exactly like a frum little Hasidish boy, give him tzitzis and everything. They taught him the Chumash with the Parsha, with Rashi's commentary. And once they got him in advance, you know, one Parsha really well, and they now take this child and they line him up with the other children. And they're so excited. They're going to fool the Chavetz Chaim. Then they're going to tell the whole media. 
CNN, come here, we want to show you something. MSNBC, come here, we want to show you something. That the Hassam Sofer teaches Torah to Goyim. What a phony he is. That's Amalek. It's a child's turn. Before the child can say anything, the Hassam Sofer looks at him and he screams, Shagets! Get out of here! A guy can't learn Torah. And the students of the Chassam Sofer says, what are you talking about? He's a very firm boy. Look how he looks. You tell me he's a guy? Chassam Sofer says, I want you to tell, I want you to know, every child who comes and sits before me, he shackles. He moves his body, sways back and forth. Because we see as a soul, the soul inside of him is like a, a fire. And as long as the soul, the Ne'er Elohim, Nishmas Adam is inside there on fire, the soul is jumping and that causes us to shackle. And if I can see this child, he's not moving, he's not on fire. He has the coldness of a Amalek. He's trying to cool things down. He has to be a faker. And so he was right. That's a good way of knowing that. A lot of people in Kiruf, if they're not sure if a person's a Jew or not, one, they don't make a definite decision, but one of the signs is, do they shackle? Is your Yiddishkeit on fire? If you just coldly sit back, then there's something wrong. You're not excited. So this is the issue of Amalek. They want us to cool down. You want, you want to be a Jew? But take it easy. Cool it. This is the expression. Remember the 60s? Cool it. Mamish. That's what Amalek really started in the 60s. Cool it. Why? It's cool. Well, we have a little different expression. I hate to say it. Baby, light my fire. I don't know. But we have a different ex expression. Finally, let me close with a story that happened to Chassam Sofer many years before. The Chassam Sofer was a student of Rav Nossin Adler. And at the age of 15, the Chassam Sofer finished the entire Talmud, the entire Shas. So he asked his Rebbe, what should I do in honor of finishing Shas? So the Rebbe said, listen to this one. He said, any boy who finishes Shas should fast for 72 hours straight. Now I don't know how many of us would have taken this offer up. But Sir Sam Sofer, at 15, a dedicated student. How can someone finish Shas at 15? You know why? He doesn't have a smartphone. Doesn't watch television. There's a lot of time to study Torah. And those of us who are in our 60s and 70s and we hope to live well into our 80s and 90s, remember we got at least 15 years with an advanced mind to study Torah as well. So finally, so that, so fine, he did it. The third day is coming to an end. He's been fasting for 70 hours, two hours left. He went with some friends to the nearby forest and they, and they went there to Davin Mincha. In the middle of Mincha, this uh, terrible anti-Semite, big guy with a big stick in his hands, wants to hurt them. So all the boys who saw what's going on, they finished their davening fast and left. But the Sam Sover was mamish in the middle of davening. He doesn't know what's going on. 
it's just the anti-Semite Bulvan and the Chassam Soifer, who's only 15, fasting for 70 hours. Oh, this guy wants to kill the Chassam Soifer. But it's not fun just to hit him and kill him. He didn't even know he got killed. Much better. Wait for him to finish his prayers. He'll turn around. He'll see me. And he'll die with such fear. It's not good enough to kill him. He's got to be suffering before I kill him. Give him one good set. He'll be dead. So Chassam Sofer finishes. He looks up. He sees this bullvan. And instead of losing his cool, so to speak, the, the Hassam Seifer, after fasting for 70 hours, and I can't explain to you why, he did not take courses in Krav Maga for sure. And he was able, Hassam Seifer, to bring out his strength, whatever strength he had, and he wasn't a builder, a weight uh, bodybuilder. He grabbed the stick away from the bullvan and he hits the guy and he kills the guy. You can imagine how emotional he was. He's not the kind of guy who kills. He was just trying to save his life. Someone's trying to kill you. You killed, you took, he took the stick and just smashed him and he killed him. He's shaking. He's trembling. He's, he goes back to his Rebbe, Reb Nossan Adler. Said, Rebbe, please explain something to me. I finished the entire Talmud. I fasted 72 hours. And at the end of all this, I kill a person? Please explain this to me. Rabbi Nussan Adler said, I want you to know, this goy was an Amaleki. And you merited to do the mitzvah of killing Amalek. Why? Because first you merited to finish Shas. Then you merited to fast for 72 hours to make yourself holy. And in that merit, Hashem gave you another merit. Mitzvah Goris Mitzvah to actually kill a Malachi. A voice we can't kill a But the Malachi inside of us is taking a club and is trying to destroy our souls. May Hashem give us the good fortune to destroy our own Amalek. But it's only going to happen if we're friends of holiness, not people who are in, in, uh, ambivalent to holiness. This Shabbos, Amalek's coming. Cold, wind, snow, on this Shabbos, a Malik's coming. You know, it's kind of cold. I'm going to just sit at home. It's kind of cold. I'll go to another synagogue that, no, they talk a bit more. But it's okay. I'm doing the midst of destroying a Malik while everybody's talking. And that's a contradiction in and of itself. You have a great opportunity to destroy a Malik. We may not be the Hassam Soifer. But everyone on their level can destroy Amalek. And the destruction of Amalek is what will bring the Mashiach much sooner. Bimheir of Yamenu Amen. Have a wonderful Shabbos.